Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Mona and Alan. We are post-evangelical ministers and theological thinkers grappling with our place in the progressive Christian world. Thank you for joining us for another conversation on faith and culture. This week, we are going to be talking about fear. I think this is probably a very timely um, topic to be talking about, considering that seems to be the atmosphere today after the election and the things that we've talked about before and it being more than just disappointment and a candidate losing. But there seems to be with certain, especially with certain um, people groups, a legitimate fear, fearful for a lot of different reasons, uh, our lives, our physical safety, just the direction of the country in general. And we just figured it would be great to have a conversation to hopefully bring some perspective on fear and what it is and how we can deal through it and how we can work through it and how we can turn it into something hopeful, something in that we're all striving for, uh, love, peace, life. Yeah. And I think it's it's important to really sit with this fear and not jump ahead to the piece because I agree, Jeff, hopefully that's the goal. But I think that even if you disagree politically with what's happening right now, even if the person you wanted to win won, um, peace can't be cheap, you know? Like we we have to, in my opinion, deal with the incredible rift that has formed in our country. Um, I can speak for myself and I can speak for pe- friends of mine who've, who've spoken to me and with me about these things. Um, I mean, personally, I'm afraid that my rights as a woman are going to be overturned. Uh, rights that protect me from being discriminated against um, from an administration who doesn't seem to think misogyny is a is a big deal. And reversing the work of decades of women and activists and male allies who have worked to ensure that I have, I can live in a society and move around without fear of repercussion for being female uh, and where I have rights to birth control and things like that. I have a lot of friends who are minorities who are as much as fear as I feel right now, who have voiced intense and incredible terror and devastation in the wake of this election. Uh, people who are afraid of their loved ones being deported, people, uh, 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 people who are afraid of those in the administration who have really extreme anti-gay views that they will be discriminated against and not protected. People are afraid of increased policing methods uh, like black communities and Latino communities and who already who are way higher at risk for being incarcerated and experiencing police brutality. So I hear from my friends, like one of my gay friends recently said, you know, that feeling in the pit of your stomach that a lot of you feel that feeling of nausea and not being safe and not knowing what's going to happen. That's the feeling that a lot of us minorities live with every single day. Welcome to the club. I was shocked by that. I mean, that's the Dave Chappelle SNL comedy sketch. I don't know if you saw that on election night. All the all the white friends he has are freaking out that this is actually happening, and he's like, "You're only realizing this now <laughs> that this is the world we live in." And for a lot of us, it's a wake up call to realize that there are people who have lived with fear and live with discrimination, and we've been able to tell ourselves that that's that's not America, that's not us, you know, and this has pushed it to the forefront of our consciousness. And and then the wave of hate crimes that have been happening as a result of extremist parties right. trying to f- push intimidation. Like there are white supremacist leaders that are encouraging, like actively encouraging their followers to use fear as a tactic. 
it's similar to the ideals behind terrorism. So these folks are not advocating violence. I want to be very clear. They're not advocating actual violence, but they are advocating uh, to make minority groups uncomfortable so that they will leave and know that they're not wanted. I mean, this is really, I wrote about this in the recent blog post when I wrote a letter, open letter to evangelicals. Um, it, it's really interesting to me that that these leaders are actually asking people to use fear as a method of control and intimidation uh, to quote unquote, get our country back, whatever that means. So I'm, I want to put a pin in that. We need to talk about that more. We need to talk about the role of fear and control because when I, when I look at the last like year um, and when I hear a topic about fear, I think of the way that it, that it impacts us both on the left and on the right and everywhere in between. I think that fear is helpful up to a point. I mean, basically like it help it helps us survive and things like that. But fear is a is sometimes a bad motivator. It's something that provides the people who know how to how to manipulate it with control to control entire groups. I do believe that Donald Trump ran on a campaign of fear. I think that he used fear about terrorism, about illegal immigration, about all these different things to get elected. And so fear has played a role in all of this, not just now, now that Donald Trump's elected, people are afraid, but also people that were spoken to that heard Donald Trump and they themselves felt afraid. They were afraid of all of these forces, these criminals that are that are in their lives or these terrorists that are outside in their neighborhoods. Like fear has allowed us to, to think of demagoguery as being normal, you know? And so like that's that's a powerful force that's been operative. And I think it's important to distinguish that fear has not been created. It's been, you know, injected. It's been heightened because the primary way in which this happens is it's capitalizing on fears that are already existing through primarily misinformation. Like you just had an article. We just had an article recently that Google is, you know, not allowing fake news sites to take partake in their their ad platform or whatever. And uh, a lot of people calling for Facebook to do the same thing because a lot of that fear is heightened and pushed forward by the spread, the purposeful spread of misinformation to capitalize on fears that are already there in a lot of people. And I don't want to come across as being callous to the fears that people have because of the result result of the election. I have people I know and love that have been targeted for hate crimes because of this. And I know that the fear is very real and that it's not unfounded. I just think that the to talk about fear is really interesting right now because it works in so many different ways and it affects us as, as people in different ways. It might be a motivator to get out and do change, to protect one another, but sometimes it's a motivator for you know the unfortunate sides of ourselves and it can be debilitating both personally and in society. Yeah, and I'd like to think that it should be a motivator to extend grace if we are not feeling that same fear. Uh, I, I like to think that, but so far the reactions that I've seen aren't necessarily the case. But you know, you have people talking about, well, why is everyone complaining about the election? Their person lost. Like this is different. This is different. And even if it, like, even if you didn't have the facts that things are different, the response is different, and that that should give us all pause, regardless of our views, to to reevaluate and to look. But the part of that of the fear is that when any of us react to fear, we're only contributing to the fear of the other side. And it seems to be an endless cycle. And that's the most discouraging and and disheartening part about the whole thing. Is reacting to fear even a choice, though? 
there's something really primal about reacting to fear as fight or flight. Mm -hmm. I think I think it isn't. I mean, I think it is and it isn't. Like we can do things to help calm that, like taking the 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 time to to step aside or whatever. But I think it's more on the responsibility of people who aren't feeling that intense of a fear to steer the ship while people experience that and and have and work through the intensity of that fear. Because I think and it by depends. steer the ship, you mean like listen to them. <laughs> well, like and listen like, to them, create space for them, and then also work hard to build bridges in the meantime. Because when you're in that fear, that fear mode, you're 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 going to be burning more bridges than building, and that's kind of understandable. It's a hard conversation because sometimes it's sometimes fear is serves a good purpose, and a lot of times it doesn't. So it's it's not like a clean fear is always bad or fear is always good. I'm just interested in in seeing how it's applied to control people. Because that's, like you're saying, the KKK has been talking about um, using fear to manipulate people. I've seen fear used politically to manipulate people on both sides. Fear on both sides. Yeah. Right. I, I, I posted on election day, I'm voting, and I'm going to vote for the people, the candidates, and the propositions that I truly believe in. I will not allow fear mongering to control. And maybe that's because I'm privileged to be able to do that. But I'm tired of the elevation of demagoguery on both sides in our nation. Like where we allow people to tap into those roots of fear to make our decisions for us. And I had that before I had that in my church growing up, you know, and I don't want to experience that. I don't want to make all my decisions based on that in, in my life. I understand that. It seems so that because we've opted into cycles of sensationalism where people really only act when they are completely and utterly outraged um, and will only <laughs> fight for each other right. when they're completely mor mortified. That's problematic to begin with, right? Because it allows it allows me to say in this election, well, I'm white, so I don't have to really care or do much about racism or like try to stand against it. Like I, I, it doesn't affect me. It honestly, like I don't feel the fear. I'm not saying this is what you guys are saying, but I've heard people saying things like yeah. this. I don't feel fear the fear, so it's not my problem, and someone else will deal with it. It allows for, um, the to me the most the most heinous kind of sin against your neighbor, which is neglect. It's one thing to actively attack your neighbor. It's one thing to actively defend your neighbor, but to just not care that that person right. is being attacked and to do nothing. I don't understand that mentality at all. And I don't understand how a lot of it seems to be coming from uh, the Christian world right now. Like just silence, like radio silence, as far as I can see, but I might be in a media bubble. I might not be seeing it. I don't know. Uh, but a lot of people are comparing this election to Kristallnacht. It was the very beginning of Nazi Germany, and it was carried out by paramilitary forces and German citizens. So it was a night when throughout Germany, uh, all these kind of militias and citizens decided to show Jews that they weren't wanted and started breaking all the glass and and in their storefronts uh, and stuff, vandalizing properties and synagogues. And so it was known as the night of the crystal night, the night of the broken glass, when everybody woke up the next day and there's just shattered glass all over the entire country. And the thing was that the authorities did nothing to quell that or to stop those riots from happening. And it was the beginning that was before anybody was put in a concentration camp to people's knowledge. It was the beginning of much worse things to come. And so 
the people who are afraid right now in this election, if you have a trouble understanding it, if you're if you happen to be in a bubble or you happen to have a skin or a visage that is kind of protected in this election because you're white, like the people who are really afraid, like just if you have a hard time understanding them, understand that they feel like this election was crystal knocked for them. It's what it feels like. It feels like an overturning of their utter sense of safety. And I, I include myself because in that there, group. Because there are places of vandalism. There are stores and there are, you know, priests, LGBTQ priests getting letters and like stuff written. There was a swastika etched, um, I think it was in California, just last night on the doors of a Methodist church. And like there's uh, there were there were militias. There were people with guns standing outside of the polling places like patrolling it back and forth just as civilians so there's i can see how there's um echoes of that and people would tie tie it to that and the, and the thing is like it's a uh, not everybody in germany was full on board with with the nazi program right but the moment that something happens in our nation where we see all of this hate surface rise to the surface not that if you voted for donald trump you deal in fear and that's what you want everyone to be afraid or something but the moment you allow the people who want to capitalize on fear to have public space without seriously shutting that down is a moment moment that it normalizes that and that becomes more of a problem i agree like you should stand up but the whole uh shutting it down thing has become really problematic for me because i know that vandalism no I'm thinking of shutting down vandalism, oh, vandalism. and like okay, gotcha. and bullying in schools and like people shout like people shouting at students or handing out false deportation notices to people who look different uh in Good Lord. Yeah, so you can say hey that's free speech. This student should be able to allow to make everybody feel unsafe who doesn't look like him, but maybe not with laws, but maybe with like social reaction. Like that you can't make that okay because the way fear works is novelty we're, we're scared of that, but the more we see something over and over, the less afraid or the less reactive we get to it and it becomes normalized. And so like the, the speeches of Donald Trump, half of what he said, if it was said in isolation years before, he never would have been elected, but he said it often enough and long enough that people started to just internalize it and accept it as normal. But the difficult thing is that is the other end of it is that you can't normalize it. And you need to react, but then you need to be purposeful with how you react to it because you could intensify it. So it's the, it's it's a it's a fine balance. It's why terrorism works, right? Like you create fear in everyone and get them to respond, and you're you're picking right. a fight. You're right. picking a fight. So how do we? And and this is where I think that you know we can learn a lot from. You know, uh, I'm, I'm going to take your role, Alan, but we can learn a lot from Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. You know, this idea of that's um, all of our role, Jeff. Just <laughs> of being creative and being, but but also aggressive in the way that we handle these things. And I'm not. I have no solutions because honestly, I'm one of those people that I don't. I don't feel a large amount of fear as much as I do um, empathy and sadness for people that do are feeling legitimate fear for their lives or their safety or the future of their their place in this country. And I. In that place, I feel like I have almost a luxury to be level-headed, and I feel guilty about that. I think, I mean, it's just a, a product of your circumstances to to feel like you can be level-headed, and I you didn't do anything to ask for that, right? No, but I also feel like I have a responsibility in that to give space Absolutely. for people 
until they're able to be at a place where they can be level-headed as well. And I don't know necessarily how to do that. Like my instinct sometimes too is to jump on Facebook and and you know enter into the conversations. But I know that that's not going to do anything. I know if anything, it's just going to put rifts in between myself and those people. So I think it's it's a long game, right? Like there are relationships that I have purposely kept in my uh, conservative circles that I meet with on a regular basis because they're good people. And I can have those conversations in places where those are the moments where I, I believe that a difference can be made because it, it's, it's establishing something long-term and real and genuine that's not going to create a divide, but but bridge the gap even further. And some people will say that you can't bridge the gap with with hate. Like you can't, there should be no reasoning with, with just pure hatred, pure Absolutely. unadulterated hatred. Right. It's just like healthy relationship boundaries there. We get to a place with people where we know, okay, I'm spinning my wheels here and I'm making it unhealthy for myself. So I need to either come right. up with a new avenue or move forward. And I think that uh, a lot of, a lot of what we've done is we've used the same tactics as the other side. I mean, our, our... Wait, who's we and who's the other I was, side? I was, I was laughing. I was like, because I'm not on the same mean? side. As- <laughs> Let's just use uh, just the, 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 the basic dynamic of right and left. So the leftist, like the leftist comedy, it's it can be right on and spot on, but it, it creates more of a reaction and widens the gap of understanding than really narrows it. Like it's smart and we love it, but really, does it do anything to make a difference other than other than confirm what we already believe. Like, is it just a, another form of confirmation bias? Yeah, Bono, you wrote about the echo chamber effect and how demonizing each side allows us to not really deal with them. It's easy to see every Trump Trump supporter as being hateful or inspiring fear, but that's well, not the so case. In the last eight years through the Obama administration, uh, a lot of the leftists and Democrats and people who sympathize with Obama like looked on it in horror as when Obama got elected both times there were effigies of him burned and people holding signs that say not my president um, and and brutal outright racism calling Obama racial slurs and things like that and the left looked and reviled people for their reactions and have especially in the academy this is a huge a huge criticism that's come out of the uh, of the result of this election um, that I don't hear a lot of people from the left grappling with that, yes, the left has been intent on uh, destroying injustice and symbols of injustice and rhetoric of injustice in the academy in particular. Let's use an example. But in the process uh, has not protected the rights of free speech of conservatives and have perpetuated fear and demonization of conservatives and conservatives have offered with their voting power and their messages to liberals and to the world in so many ways that they are tired of such intimidation tactics. I mean, if you want to talk about tactics of control and fear, a lot of the ways people attempt to enforce political correctness are just that, in my opinion. I mean, I've had people yell at me, like yell at me, like check your privilege, you know, like in a normal conversation. So there are intimidation tactics being used on both sides. And I think it's really important before you point the finger and say, stop intimidating me, stop humiliating me, stop shaming me, stop threatening me. You have to look at how your team, whoever that is, has maybe done that. I mean, and I'm totally sympathetic to creating safe space, but uh, there's no but in that. I'm totally sympathetic to creating safe space. I'm totally sympathetic to that. I think we should create safe spaces. But when every 
place in society is supposed to be a safe space and there's nowhere for people to be able to ask honest questions and are just being demonized. I think that there is something to be said of the progressive media and progressive people contributing to the present tension that we have and as and, and making people so angry and feel so shut down that they felt like they need a backlash. It's not it's not all of it. That's not that doesn't explain all of it, but I think You've gotten some blowback for saying that, right? I've gotten a recently. huge blowback for saying that. Yeah. Huge blowback for saying that. You know, saying, you know, don't tell me how to protest. I'm lamenting. And I'm saying things like, well, isn't a form of privilege? It, it, they're saying you're, you're privileged to even say, th- like, there is a right and a wrong way to protest. And I'm saying in response, uh, isn't it privileged to think that your rhetoric doesn't have consequences just because you're lamenting and you think everybody, there should be no rules or no boundaries to anything you say? Um, I, I'm frustrated with that. Like, right. and I think it distracts from the real issues at stake. Like you saying, like I should be able to say f Trump whenever I want to, and hold up a sign that says f Trump whenever I want to. You or can't burn tell his me not head to. on a stake, like they were or doing whatever, in the street, or whatever people are doing. Right. You know, or being uh, the fact that you're so busy defending your right to talk like that in public without thinking about the consequences means that you're missing the point. What I'm trying to say is that that kind of rhetoric is distracting to the real point of actually protecting minority like rights. Now is not the time for you to defend your right to drop the F-bomb in public. That's, I don't know. This might be a huge tangent, but I, I, and I feel like I'm talking around something, but all to say, I think the left has been responsible for, for control and fear tactics too. And I think it's time for us to look at our own complicity and how sensational things have gotten. I'm I'm responsible. I, I've said things on this very show that make me responsible for that kind of a- atmosphere, and I'm sorry for that. And I think it's also with that is the. This is probably one of my mottos of life, but to embrace nuance, you know, like it's it's a little cliche, but everything starts with us, right? Like, how do we interact with someone? So if we're at a a party and we're having a good time, and someone gets offended. Um, by something that's said and they just lash out totally incongruent with whatever insulted them in the first place. A socially conscious person would realize there's something that doesn't match up. So either number one, the insult may have seemed slight to me, but it was definitely not slight to them. Or there's something else deeper, more important going on below the surface. And since I'm able... I'm at a place where I can even recognize that I need to approach handling the situation in a different way than I would. I'm just going to react to that reaction because it offended me and it threw me off guard. And I think that we're seeing that in our society today is that for a lot of people, they look at the landscape and they're like, it's just an election. You just lost. Get over it. But they're not being or God is on his throne. Exactly. They're not being thoughtful enough to stop and be like, wait a minute. This doesn't feel the same way that usually feels when someone loses an election. Perhaps there's something else going on. And these these are idealistic solutions. These are idealistic. Like this is how it should be in the way it goes. But I think I think it goes back to what space that we're in and giving that because you're right. Like in response to fear, we're 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 creating uh, more of it. And uh, I think that there's, there's practical things that we can do that would ease that tide perhaps. And I, and going back to what I was talking about earlier, I think the spread of misinformation and how that the, it seems like the opposite where 
instead of our reactions being fueled by information, our reactions are fueling fake information to heighten that with other people. And I think that that's part of it too. Like before, if I was going to lament or if I was going to grieve, it was within people that I was safe to lament and grieve with. But now we have platforms where we can take that grieving out into people who don't know us, who don't know the context of why we're grieving. You know, we don't, we don't open up our funerals to the public. We're with family. So we can act how we want to and what we want to and say what we want to in those situations. And I think that we just have a fundamental disconnect when it comes to public grieving because it is so public. It is so open to everyone. And there's no way that we can communicate the nuance of who we are as a person in the midst of our grief. All someone is going to see is the face of it. Well, what? It, okay. So I agree with you. I agree with you that there, sh- there, there should be a distinction between public and private grief. Um, I think that's also problematic, though, when people feel like a situation like the Trump election is so untenable that they want people to see the the extent to which they're yeah. distraught and afraid, yes. first of all. Second of all, yeah, I agree that a lot of the fear that's happening right now, some of it is from misinformation. You're right. There's a lot of it that's not from misinformation. And what do you do when you're talking to an opponent and you're like, okay, like you were saying it earlier, Jeff, which is my first instinct. Like, what is this really about? What are you really mad about? You know, is it economics? Is it abortion? Like, what what is the real reason you are saying the things you're saying? And what if at the end of the day, people are like, uh, no, I'm actually really mad. The core of my anger and and speech is that I'm really mad that I'm white and I don't want to share power with people of color like that's why i'm really mad the real reason i'm really mad is because i'm male and i don't want to share power with females i think that male should be in charge like what do you at the end of the day what do you say to people like who i i no i I guess i'll say like if if that's just your personal personally held belief and you're not acting out and expressing that in vengeful or malicious or, or violent ways we live in a country where people are allowed to believe that kind of stuff and you can't say boo about it as long as they're not hurting anybody you can't say anything about that like we you just can't like that that is when we embrace a diverse constitution and freedom of religion and freedom of of political conviction and personal conviction that you have to accept those folks at the table too provided they're not hurting anybody right to the same extent yeah. that you have to accept an extreme leftist who is um who's got really extreme views, if they start attacking conservatives and shaming them, that's not okay either, right? So we've lost sight of this somehow, I think. We um, absolutely have. And and honestly, the the stuff that I'm throwing forward is coming from a pure like textbook standpoint, standpoint. Like I'm hypothetically encountering what I would do in that situation because for the people that are reacting the most to this election, I have never even come close in my life to feeling and experiencing the things that they do on a regular basis. There's a certain level where I just can't speak to that. The only thing I can speak to is people with my experience. Like I I can only speak to my tribe with authority. And if someone from outside of my tribe or my context or my experience then comes to me with questions, I'll, I'll be willing to, and, and to be open with those whatever answers. And then also hopefully be able to ask the same questions and gain understanding slowly. But to a certain extent, my hands are tied because I'm not part of that tribe. Yeah, but you can certainly relay messages and you can certainly speak to people. I mean, 
if that were completely true, I think like white people wouldn't be talking about racism, right? Like they might be sympathetic to it, but like I can't talk about it because I'm not black. Like I'm I can not talk about to. it, but I can't. Yeah. I, don't, I don't feel like I could talk about it to someone who is black and say, you know what I think about racism? Like I, I feel like I have right. to wait for that invitation before I can do it. Not that I wouldn't, but I don't feel like I need an invitation to talk to someone who is white and who is in my family or closely connected to me and being like, look, how – how do you ignore this issue and really get to the heart of it from there and then hopefully be able to make uh, in ways there because that's my tribe and I have I have that authority or that privilege or whatever. It's interesting you say that, though, because uh, that you don't feel like you have the right to approach a black person and talk to them about racism. Like white people have been the primary movers of racism. Like that's our thing. Like white, that's white people thing. <laughs> I know that sounds well, ridiculous to say, but it is. But in the sense of of not about the racism, I guess as a as a general issue, but it, in the sense of like trying to inquire or call someone who's experienced racism to a higher way of approaching it, because I've never even I I, I don't feel like that that could ever be my place unless I was in a place where I've, I experienced that on some level. Yeah, you know what I, I mean. I guess yeah, you know, as you're talking though, and this might not be what be your, be what you're saying at all, but I'm thinking of the whole safety pin thing and why I personally don't uh, buy into it because while it's a nice idea, I think it kind of has this attitude of like, well, I'm going to designate myself as a safe person, so if you want to come to me and ask questions, then you can. I I th- I don't know that if you were saying something like that, but I think it it kind of removes the responsibility to go out and make connections and befriend people and yeah, to do the I saw work. that I saw that differently with the safety pin thing. Just to jump in there specifically, I see that as a reminder for the people that wear it, that that's what they're called to is to be, is to create. And, and the people who originally wore it, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it started in Australia with um, transportation. People on public transportation were worried like, you know, hate crimes are being, um, were going to be done to them. And so they were, purposefully going out of their way to sit by people who are different and like communicate that they were an ally or whatever. But I think it's more of a reminder also to the people who wear it. And like, obviously it could just be tokenism and just be like, uh, lessening your grief for not doing real, not being a part of real change, but people are allowed, I think to respond the way that they, and you would say that people are allowed to respond the way that they want to. Yeah. Well, I think the problem is, is we're, we're all right. Right. Like there's there's so many different ways to approach that because there's so many different people to approach like that's even though I believe that there's certain things that I don't I don't think I'd have the audacity or even right to go up to someone and ask them about specific issues. But that doesn't mean I don't have the ability and the right to go up to them and and engage them on any other different level. You know, it's just like any other relationship that we have. If you want to maintain a long lasting relationship, no one starts with. Oh, so. You know, tell me the worst thing that's ever happened in your life. And then or I just don't go up to random strangers and say, here's <laughs> my whole. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. That shouldn't. Uh, uh, but I I can still engage with someone. But then I have to feel my way into that relationship to feel like, well, where's where's the space where I can then move into that? And I think that that's I think it just gets muddied when we have such a such an open such an open forum to, to throw things out there, even though we may not, we don't know the people that we're throwing it out to. I think the way that we conduct ourselves online, it wouldn't be the way that we would conduct ourselves in, in real life. I was listening to both of you talk, and I think what I'm hearing in general in this whole conversation is on the one hand, 
you don't want to dismiss anyone's fear out of hand. And on the other, it's uncomfortable seeing when people use fear to manipulate whole groups of people at the same time. It's it's tragic. It's not just uncomfortable. I think we can all agree yeah. with that. It's tragic. It's a, it's exceptionally tragic when it's based on misinformation. And I would agree that the whole idea that there's some sort of scarcity or natural inherent competition between races to begin with is the first and foremost misinformation of racism. I've wanted to say that this whole time. Ah, this is all about the economics of scarcity. Like, uh, we're going to, you know, we're scared of the, the people who are immigrating. We're scared of this. We're scared of that because there's only a little bit to go around and we have to put a fist around ours and protect it from everybody else. That's the economics of scarcity in society, whether that's power or regular economic resources. We have tremendous examples in history to look back to about this. I mean, okay, yes, maybe maybe what's happening currently in American political society is not completely akin to the rise of Hitler. Okay. That's a really strong accusation and I won't just lob that around uh, easily. However, what, what started happening in Nazi Germany is ideas spreading around that the reason Germany was in the state that it was, was all because of Jews. Like it was actually literally pinned on a group of people for kind of no reason Maybe other other than that, they were involved in financial institutions, and the demonization started started creeping in. And demonization meaning you considering someone a demon and flattening their personhood and their humanity. And I see this happening on the right and the left right now, like intense demonization. And I think maybe one of the first ways to stand up to fear is to refuse to participate in demonization to begin with. Like whether you think it's justified or not to demonize somebody who voted for the person you didn't like, uh, maybe just don't do that. Don't contribute to that, to that cycle. It's not helpful. It actually ends up causing so much resentment. I interpret a lot of the, the hate speech that's happening right now from extreme, like white supremacists and whatnot. Like, Yes, it's hate speech against groups of people, but it's also resentment for being silenced. It's also resentment for being shamed and for being told that there's certain things you can't say or believe or feel or think and that your personhood is somehow inherently wrong because you're white. You're not allowed to be proud of yourself in any capacity. Like there is a self-flagellating kind of activism that does expect. And this is a lot from white people trying to be activists and trying to grapple with race does expect white people to to whip themselves and grovel and grind themselves into the dust and there's been a reaction against that so which is the the ballot box and poll difference in public pollings clinton won but in private people went and showed what they really felt right they didn't feel safe in public they didn't feel safe in public to be able to say what they really do feel politically or what they're going to do politically they waited till the privacy of the ballot box to do that that's why the polls were all off and for some extremists right now, they said, oh, you're going to call me a horrible racist bigot. I will show you what a racist bigot looks like. This is like that's my interpretation of some of what's happening. That's so, the Pygmalion effect. People people become what you constantly say that they are. I don't so know. If, I, I, if we demonize other what groups. I'm, yeah, yeah. Sorry, what, what I am saying, too, though, is that that can become a kind of victim blaming. And I want to be extremely careful about that. Absolutely. And that's why I think it's just. You know, I, I think we just kind of have to get to a point where we're like, all right, the the rest of it seems like, I don't want to say hopeless, but sometimes it does. And also, you know, so large of an issue, I, we just have to start with ourselves. So what what can we do 
to to tide the fear in our own lives to prevent us from lashing out and, and adding to the pile. I think it starts with showing actual solidarity and friendship to people who are in afraid marginalized communities right now. Don't just pat don't just give them a like on Facebook, like call, text, show up, uh, go to go to rallies, like be an organize, be a community organizer, be an activist, like do stuff that makes a difference. Don't just hit a like button and feel better about yourself. Um, like if there's a Muslim registry that it gets implemented, if it hopefully to God, it will not. But if it does like go disrupt that system and register yourself as a Muslim, I don't know. Like there are so many ways to show solidarity and to stand up against, uh, discrimination. If that is indeed what is happening and going to happen, let's hope and pray that it doesn't. Um, but if it does be ready to stand up and be ready to show actual solidarity and support with people who are in in uh vulnerable positions right now please and because that's the dual thing the other side of this is don't assume that you're not controlled by fear that someone is not using fear to control your actions and your sense of personhood like in your own life dismantle the things that that control you by fear and whether that's religious that thinking of this because of me religiously i had the most personal growth um in my spirituality, in my life, when I let go of fear, fear that I'm going to get it wrong, fear that I'm going to get God wrong, that I'm going to go to hell, that all these things, once that was let go, and I I don't want to change the subject and go in that direction. Maybe we'll talk about that in the future. I want to talk about that in the future, but don't about assume what? about uh, how fear has played a role in my religious upbringing and how letting that go, like I found so much life and freedom and so much more embrace of God and Christianity leaving fear behind. But that's like a whole conversation that needs to happen in the future, how fear works in religious circles. All that to say, I think that all of us should examine how fear works in our lives, whether we're on the left or the right or somewhere in between or not at all. We have to examine how fear is operating in our world right now and in us before we can tell other people not to be afraid or, um, or even standing in solidarity with other people. The work does start with us. I don't think you can tell people not to be afraid. What right. you can do, though, no, people is people are doing that, and it's it's wrong. They're just dismissing fear out of hand. Dismissing right. fear is that's cruel. That's yeah. just downright cruel. And what needs what to happen can- is understanding. We need to understand why we're afraid before anything else. Whether well, and underst- if you think. And if you think fear is unfounded, go check your sources and offer a humble alternative to the uh, or perspective on reality like hey i noticed you getting worked up because you think all muslims are going to get deported actually that's not really based on anything anyone said so here let's take a look at some sources together check your facts you know but don't just tell people not to be afraid and on the other side i hear you're afraid that all the uh, people coming into this country as refugees are going to start doing terrorist attacks let's take a look at that and actually look at what the fact that that doesn't happen. Right. And, and, and I think it's hard. I've been critiqued by col- scholars of color to say uh, that even pointing to facts this or facts that is kind of like a very um, like white hegemonic way of yeah. like, well, if you just have facts to disprove them, we don't have to feel afraid anymore. Just realize that the lived experience of many, yes. many, many people in this country, it doesn't matter if there's facts to back up the fear or not. Like they feel like people aren't dumb. They know when they're not welcome. They know when they're not wanted. They know when there's intimidation and microaggressions happening. People people are very attuned to what 
what certain things mean, you know, certain signals from society. So it's, you don't even have to have a fact to, if you're probably a minority in this country and feeling this negative energy, your direction or this fear, like you don't have to have facts to back up that you're feeling that you're just feeling it. You're just feeling tense. You're just feeling afraid. And that's, that's, that is, that just is, it's not something that anyone should try to talk someone out of. And I would say along those lines, more than just like the facts of the reality versus the person's fear, but take the time and ask questions about why they're fearful of that. Like if they're fearful of that because they've received information, then I think information is a good way to go. But if they're fearful of that because they have a legitimate experience where they experience what the rhetoric says is going to happen to everyone, I think it's important to stop and be like, hey, why why do you feel that way? Is there a specific instance in your life where you had a negative interaction with this person or that group of people? And start there because I think that we'd find that there's a lot of experiences that people haven't talked about that they experience that is, that is heightening that fear for them because they have something real and tangible to associate it with. And I think unless we connect through the stories of our lives, through our experiences, we're also not going to get very far if we're just throwing out information and not providing some kind of connection with the people on both the right and the left or the or whatever side I don't even like to use that word but wherever we're at and in comparison to where someone else is at and I think that's obviously harder to do with different circumstances than others but I think at least for us the three of us with our inner circles where where it seems to be so polarized there's there's a way to for us to to go into DM and, and, and direct messages or whatever and say, look, you responded this way. Do you have a specific experience? And start there. This conversation has left me more, I don't know, more confused than even when I started. I think I appreciate Jeff saying uh, calling for nuance because when I think of fear, I get upset when it's controlling people, when it's used to control people, and I get upset when it's dismissed at the individual level. So I think nuance is definitely something that I have to sit with. Like, how am I going to respond to fear? When is it appropriate? When isn't it? And I don't think it's ever appropriate to say someone else's fear is not appropriate. But understanding it is probably where I'm at. Understanding fear, regardless of where it comes from, and then dealing with it in a nuanced way. And I would say this is like, this is deep existential fear that people are experiencing. And I think that that's like a that's like a very old brain that's a reptilian brain response that's a that's an irrational brain response i'm not saying that people who are afraid right now are irrational i'm saying that that kicks in parts of your your limbic response brain that you almost can't control like the sinking feeling that i've had in the pit of my stomach since the election the feeling of nausea like i'm gonna vomit at any moment that is out of my control that's something that i just have to sit with right now there is nothing sweeter when I'm feeling that way than to just someone come alongside me and be my friend and just be my friend. Like that's, you have no idea how far friendship and expressions of love go right now in such a tense time for so many people. I mean, evidence alone by the fact that support hotlines for a lot of minority groups like LGBTQ people are like astronomically high levels of calls. Like, the amount of intense personal anguish that people are going through, maybe because like you said, Alan, they've been triggered or Jeff, that they've been triggered because they've been through something that's bringing up a lot of stuff for them right now that they're having to rework through. I know people personally who are going through that. Um, 
or As in women they're... who have been assaulted and then now someone who's accused of assaulting women is now president of the United States, right? You have no idea how how terrified some of my friends are who who are rape survivors and are terrified that someone who looks a lot like their attacker or their uh, assaulter is now in the highest office in this country. That is that is an obscenely terrifying prospect for people. So be as compassionate as you can uh, in this time. That is the only advice I can give. And, and and really seriously consider ways that you can speak out, especially white, cis, straight people, white, cisgendered. So if you're like the gender, if you identify with the gender you're born and you're a straight white person, you have a tremendous opportunity right now to speak to to white people who are doing bad and harassing things and saying bad and harassing things because minorities are terrified and will not speak out for themselves right now because many minorities are too afraid to say anything and to combat this kind of hate because they're afraid that it will come back on their heads a hundredfold. So there are immense opportunities to get in conversations and discussions. If you have the privilege of being white, straight, and cis, uh, you, please use that that privilege for good for once you know not well, not for once i shouldn't say for once <laughs> yeah for once feel the responsibility of that right feel the responsibility of it d- d- please do something about it i don't know how I, I, my words are failing me at this point um, well that's as good of a place to any to basically open up the conversation like we are you know three post-evangelical white people of relative economic status and privilege in our society. And uh, our perspective is one perspective or three perspectives. Uh, So we really add your voice to this particular conversation. You can comment at the show notes at irenacast.com slash 90. You also find links to some of the stuff that we're talking about. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us, um, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on email. All of our information is also in the show notes at irenacast.com slash 90. Please give us your feedback. And perhaps if we get enough feedback come through, we can maybe just do a second part to this and, and hear from people and speak to that. And uh, I think that this, you know, we, we use the tagline at the end of a lot of all of our episodes. Thanks for joining the conversation. And uh, we would really... This is this can't be the end. This can't be something that we just stop at. This is something that we need to continue to have conversations for. We we personally need and love and would lo- would love to hear from other perspectives to give us new perspective on how we're approaching the world. So and look forward in the future to a conversation on how fear operates in religious circles because I'm going to do it by myself if I have to. I got to talk about it. So big. You don't have to do it by yourself. <laughs> Uh, and i think with that being said uh i think that's going to do it for us this week i don't think that we really um i don't think this conversation lends to us to end with any kind of segment or game or anything like that uh maybe it's just time to let this settle and let this stop and be be the conversation be the episode this week and uh we have some we have some lighter subjects coming to us in the future but everything with the the election seems so eminent and so now that it would be um, and heavy borderline distasteful for us to to ignore talking about these issues even though we don't necessarily have a complete grasp on them ourselves yet and i think that's a that's an important place to be sometimes so that we can open up the door for other people if i can just add one thing to that jeff if you are first of all 
somebody who is afraid right now and doesn't have anyone to talk to, message us. We'll message you back. We'll talk to you. We'll be there for you. Uh, and we'll help you find resources. Uh, second of all, if you are a person who would like to start asking really honest questions about race and sexism, but you are afraid of being shamed, message us. We'll also talk to you in a non-demeaning way. And we'll try to find some resources for you there as well. But we want you to know that we we don't want to stand in any kind of cycle of hate or demonization. And so we open the door to anyone who needs to message us. I think that's that's well said. Like we we really do our hope for the show from the very beginning has to create a space for people but that that relate to our experience and also provide open avenues of conversation to to talk to people because I know that many of our listeners are in places where they're still going to evangelical churches and they're still wrestling with these ideas and they haven't really put them out there for the world and a place to talk about them is is good. And uh so again this is not a plea to get more people to talk to the show, but this is just more get involved in, and we would love to figure out ways that we can work together in whatever's going on to, to create more avenues of understanding and compassion. Amen to that. That's right. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Mona. And I'm Alan. Thank you for joining the conversation.